The wind had settled. The bird up on the cliffs had shut down for the night. All Vimes could hear was the sizzle of the little desert creatures. Then Ahmed's voice said, I am genuinely impressed, Sir Samuel. Vimes took a deep breath. You know, you really fooled me, he said. May your loins be full of fruit. That was a good one. I really thought you were just... He stopped. But Ahmed continued. Just another camel driver with a towel on his head. Oh, dear. And you've been doing so well up to now, Sir Samuel. The prince was very impressed. Oh, come on. You were all but making suggestive comments about melons. What was I supposed to think? Don't fret, Sir Samuel. I consider it all a compliment. You can turn round. I wouldn't dream of harming you unless you do something foolish. Vimes turned. He could just make out a shape in the afterglow. You were admiring this place, said Ahmed. Tacticus's men had it built when he tried to conquer Clatch. It's not really a city by today's standards, of course. It was really just making a point. Here we are and here we stay, as it were. And then the wind changed. You murdered Snowy Slopes, didn't you? The term is executed. I can show you the confession he signed beforehand. Of his own free will, more or less. What? Let us say I pointed out to him the alternatives to signing the confession. I was kind enough to leave you the pad. After all, I wanted to keep your interest. And don't look like that, Sir Samuel. I need you. How could you tell how I look? I can guess. The Assassin's Guild had a contract on him in any case, and by a happy chance, I am a Guild member. You? Vimes tried to bite down on the word, and then, why not him? Kids got sent a thousand miles to be taught in the Assassin's Guild school. Oh, yes, the best years of my life, they tell me. I was in Viper House. Up school, up school, right up school. He sighed like a prince and spat like a camel driver. If I shut my eyes, I can still recall the taste of that peculiar custard we used to get on Mondays. Dear me, how it all comes back. I remember every soggy street. Does Mr. Dibbler still sell his horrible sausages in a bun in Treacle Mine Road? Yes. Still the same old Dibbler, eh? Still the same sausages. Once tasted, never forgotten. True. No, don't move too quickly, Sir Samuel. Otherwise I'm afraid I shall be cutting your own throat. You don't trust me, and I don't trust you. Why did you drag me here? Drag you? <laughs> I had to sabotage my own ship so you wouldn't lose me. Yes, but you you knew how I'd react. Vimes's heart began to sink. Everyone knew how Sam Vimes would react. Yes. Would you like a cigarette, Sir Samuel? I thought you sucked those damn clothes. In Ankh-Morpork, yes. Always be a little bit foreign wherever you are, because everyone knows foreigners are a little bit stupid. Besides, these are rather good. Fresh from the desert? <laughs> yes, everyone knows Clatchian cigarettes are made from camel dung. A match flared, and for a moment Vimes caught a glimpse of the hooked nose as Ahmed lit a cigarette for him. 
That is one area where, I regret to say, prejudice has some evidence on its side. No, these are all the way from Sumtri, an island where it is said the women have no souls. <laughs> Personally, I doubt it. Vimes could make out a hand holding the packet. Just for a moment he wondered if he could grab and... How is your luck? said Ahmed. Running out, I suspect. Yes, a man should know the length of his luck. Shall I tell you how I know you are a good man, Sir Samuel? In the light of the rising moon, Vimes saw Ahmed produce a cigarette holder, insert one and light up almost fastidiously. Do tell. After the attempt on the prince's life, I suspected everyone. But you suspected only your own people. You couldn't bring yourself to think the Clatchins might have done it, because that had lined you up with the likes of Sergeant Colon, and all the rest of the Clatchian fags are made of camel-dung brigade. Whose policeman are you? I draw my pay, let us say, as the Wali of Prince Kadram. I shouldn't think he's very happy with you right now, then. You were supposed to be guarding his brother, weren't you? So was I, Vimes thought, but what the hell? Yes, and we thought the same way, Sir Samuel. You thought it was your people, I thought it was mine. The difference is, I was right. Kufura's death was plotted in Clatch. Oh, really? That's what they wanted the watch to think. No, Sir Samuel, the important thing is what someone wanted you to think. Really? Well, you've got that wrong. All the stuff with the glass and the sand on the floor. I saw through that straight away. His voice faded into silence. After a while, Ahmed said, almost sympathetically, Yes, you did. Damn! Oh, in some ways you were right. Ossie was paid in dollars originally, and then later on someone broke in, making sure they dumped most of the glass outside and swapped the money and distributed the sand. I must say that I thought the sand was going a bit too far, too. No one would be that stupid. But they wanted to make sure it looked like a bungled attempt. Who was it? said Vimes. Oh, a small-time thief. Bob-Bob hard, yo-yo. He didn't even know why he was doing it, except that someone was willing to pay him. I commend your city, Commander. For enough money, you can find someone to do anything. Someone must have paid him. A man he met in a pub. Vimes nodded glumly. It was amazing how many people were prepared to do business with a man they'd met in a pub. I can believe that, he said. You see, if even the redoubtable Commander Vimes, who is known even to some senior Clatchian politicians as an unbendingly honest and thorough man, if somewhat lacking in intelligence, if even he protested that it was done by his own people... Well, the world is watching. The world would soon find out. Starting a war over a rock? Well, that sort of thing makes countries uneasy. They've all got rocks off their coast. But starting a war because some foreign dog had killed a man on a mission of peace? That, I think, the world will understand. Lacking in intelligence, said Vimes. Oh, don't be too depressed, Commander. That business with the fire at the embassy, that was sheer bravery. It was bloody terror. Well, the dividing line is narrow. That was one thing I hadn't expected. In the rolling, clicking snooker table of Vimes's mind, the black ball hit a pocket. You had expected the fire, then? 
The building should have been almost empty. Vimes moved. Ahmed was lifted off his feet and slammed against a pillar with both of Vimes's hands around his neck. The woman was trapped in there. It, it was necessary, said Ahmed hoarsely. There had to be a diversion. His life was in danger. I had to get him out. I, I did not know about the woman until too late. I give you my word. Through the red veil of anger, Vimes became aware of a prickle in the region of his stomach. He glanced down at the knife that had appeared magically in the other man's hand. Listen to me, hissed Ahmed. Prince Kadram ordered his brother's death. What better way to demonstrate the perfidy of the sausage-eaters killing a peacemaker? His own brother? You expect me to believe that? Messages were sent to the embassy in code. To the old ambassador? I don't believe that. Ahmed stood quite still for a moment. No, you really don't, do you? He said. Be generous, Sir Samuel. Truly treat all men equally. Allow Clatchians the right to be scheming bastards. Hmm? In fact, the ambassador is just a pompous idiot. Ankh-Morpork has no monopoly on them. But his deputy sees the messages first. He is... A young man of ambition. Vimes relaxed his grip. Him? I thought he was shifty as soon as I saw him. I suspect that you thought he was Clatchian as soon as you saw him. But I take your point. And you could read this code, could you? Oh, come now. Don't you read Vetinari's paperwork upside down when you're standing in front of his desk? Besides, I am Prince Kadram's policeman. So he's your boss, right? Who is your boss, Sir Samuel, when push comes to shove? The two men stood locked together. Ahmed's breath wheezed. Vimes stood back. These messages, you've got them? Oh, yes, with his seal on them. Ahmed rubbed his neck. Good grief, the originals? I'd have thought they'd be under lock and key. They were, in the embassy. But in the fire, many hands were needed to carry important documents to safety. It was a very... Useful fire. Well, you can't argue against that in court. What court? The king is the law. Ahmed sat down. We are not like you. You kill kings. The word is execute, and we only did it once, and that was a long time ago, said Vimes. Is that why you brought me here? Why all this drama? You could have come to see me in Ark Moorpork. You're a suspicious man, Commander. Would you have believed me? Besides, I had to get Prince Kufura out of there before he <clears throat> died of his wounds. Where's the prince now? Close and safe. He is safer in the desert than he would ever be in Ankh-Morpork, I can assure you. And, well, getting better, he is being looked after by an old lady whom I trust. Your mother? Ye <laughs> gods, no! My mother is a dreg. She'd be terribly offended if I trusted her. She'd say she hadn't brought me up right. He saw Vimes's expression this time. You think I am an educated barbarian? Let's just say I'd have given Snowy Slopes a running start. Really? Look around you, Sir Samuel. Your beat is a city you can walk across in half an hour. Mine is two million square miles of desert and mountain. My companions are a sword and a camel, and frankly, neither are good conversationalists, believe me. 
Oh, the towns and cities have their guards, of a sort. They are uncomplicated thinkers, but it is my job to go into the waste places and chase bandits and murderers five hundred miles from anyone who would be on my side. So I must inspire dread and strike the first blow, because I will not have a chance to strike a second one. I am an honest man of a sort, I think. I survive. I survived seven years in an Ark Moorpork public school, patronized by the sons of gentlemen. Compared to that, life among the dregs holds no terrors, I assure you. And I administer justice swiftly and inexpensively. I heard about how you got your name. Ahmed shrugged. The man had poisoned the water, the only well for twenty miles. That killed five men, seven women, thirteen children, and thirty-one camels. And some of them were very valuable camels, mark you. I had evidence from the man who sold him the poison, and a trustworthy witness who had seen him near the well on the fateful night. Once I had testimony from his servant, why wait even an hour? Sometimes we have trials, said Vimes brightly. Yes, your Lord Vetinari decides. Well, five hundred miles from anywhere the law is me. Ahmed waved a hand. Oh, no doubt the man would suggest there were mitigating circumstances, that he had an unhappy childhood, or was driven by compulsive well-poisoning disorder. But I have a compulsion to behead cowardly murderers. Vimes gave up. The man had a point. The man had a whole sword. Different strokes for different folks, he said. I find the one at shoulder height generally suffices, said Ahmed. Don't grimace, it was a joke. I knew the prince was plotting, and I thought this is not right. Had he killed some Ankh-Morpork lord, that would be just politics. But this, I thought, why do I chase stupid people into the mountains when I am part of a big crime? The prince wants to unite the whole of Clutch. Personally, I like the little tribes and countries, even their little wars. But I don't mind if they fight Ankh-Morpork because they want to, or because of your horrible personal habits, or your unthinking arrogance. There's a lot of reasons for fighting Ankh Morpork. A lie isn't one of them. I know what you mean, said Vimes. But what can I do alone? Arrest my prince? I am his policeman, as you are Vetinari's. No, I am an officer of the law. All I know is there must be a policeman, even for kings. Vimes looked pensively at the moonlit desert. Somewhere out there was the Ankh-Morpork army, what there was of it. And somewhere waiting was the Clatchian army. And thousands of men who might have quite liked one another had they met socially would thunder towards one another and start killing. And after that first rush, you had all the excuses you needed to do it again and again. He remembered listening when he was a kid to old men in his street talking about war, there hadn't been many wars in his time. The states of the Stowe Plains mainly, mainly tried to bankrupt one another, or the Assassin's Guild sorted everything out on a one-to-one -one basis. Most of the time, people just bickered, and while that was pretty annoying, it was a lot better than having a sword stuck in your liver. What he remembered most among the descriptions of puddles filled with blood and flying limbs was the time one old man said, "'And if your foot got caught in something, it was always best not to look and see what it was, if and you wanted to hold on to your dinner.' He'd never explained what he meant. The other old men seemed to know. Anyway, nothing could have been worse than the explanations Vimes thought of for himself. 
and he remembered that the three old men who spent most of their days sitting on a bench in the sun had between them five arms, five eyes, four and a half legs, and two and three-quarter faces. And seventeen ears. Crazy Winston would bring out his collection for a good boy who looked suitably frightened. He wants to start a war. Vimes had to open his mouth, because otherwise there was no room to get his head round such a crazy idea. This man, who everyone said was honest, noble, and good, wanted a war. Oh, certainly, said Ahmed. Nothing unites people like a good war. How could you deal with someone who thought like that? Vimes asked himself. A mere murderer? Well, you had a whole range of options. He could deal with a mere murderer. You had criminals, and you had policemen. And there was a sort of seesaw there which balanced out in some strange way. But if you took a man who'd sit down and decide to start a war, what in the name of seven hells could you balance him with? You'd need a policeman the size of a country. You couldn't blame the soldiers. They'd just joined up to be pointed in the right direction. Something clicked against the fallen pillar. Vimes glanced down and pulled the baton out of his pocket. It glinted in the moonlight. What damn good was something like this? All it really meant was that he was allowed to chase the little criminals who did the little crimes. There was nothing he could do about the crimes that were so big you couldn't even see them. You lived in them. So safer to stick to the little crimes. Sam Vimes. All right, my sons. Let them have it right up the geography. Figures bounded over the fallen pillars. There was a metallic whir as Ahmed unsheathed his sword. Vimes saw a halberd coming towards him, an Ankh Morpork halberd. And street reaction took over. He didn't waste time sneering at someone stupid enough to use a pike on a foot soldier. He dodged the blade, caught the shaft, and pulled it so hard that its owner stumbled right into his upswinging boot. Then he jerked away, struggling to untangle his sword from the unfamiliar robes. He ducked another shadowy figure's wild slice and managed to make an elbow connect with something painful. As he rose, he looked into the face of a man with an upraised sword. There was a silken sound, and the man swayed backwards, his head looking surprised as it fell away from the body. Vimes dragged his headdress off. I'm from Ark Morpork, you stupid sods. A huge figure rose in front of him, a sword in each hand. I'll cut your tonker off you, you greasy... Oh, is that you, Sir Samuel? Huh? Willikins? Indeed, sir, the butler straightened up. Willikins? Do excuse me one moment, sir. Knock it off, you mother-loving sons of bitches. I had no apprehension of your presence, sir. This one's fighting back, Sarge. Ahmed had his back to a pillar. A man already lay at his feet. Three others were trying to get close enough to the Wali while staying away from the whirling wall he was creating with his sword. Ahmed, these are on our side, Vimes yelled. Oh, really? Pardon me. Ahmed lowered his sword and removed the cigarette holder from his mouth. He nodded at one of the soldiers who had been trying to attack him and said, Good morning to you. Here, are you one of ours too? No, I am one of... He's with me, Vimes snapped. How come you're here, Willikins? Sergeant Willikins, I see. We were on patrol, sir, and we were attacked by some Clatchian gentlemen. After the ensuing unpleasantness... You should have seen him, sir. He bit one bastard's nose right off, a soldier supplied. It is true that I endeavoured to uphold the good name of Ankh Morpork, sir. Anyway, after we... And one bloke, Sarge, stabbed him right in the... Please, Private Bork, I am apprising Sir Samuel of events, said Willikins. Sarge ought to get a medal, sir. 
Those few of us who survived tried to get back, sir, but we had to conceal ourselves from other patrols, and we were just considering lying up until dawn in this edifice when we espied you and this gentleman here. Ahmed was watching him with his mouth open. How many were in this Clatchian patrol, Sergeant? he said. Nineteen men, sir. That's a very precise count in this light. I was able to enumerate them subsequently, sir. You mean they were all killed? Yes, sir, said Willikins calmly. However, we ourselves lost five men, sir, not including privates Hobley and Webb, sir, who regrettably seem to have passed away as a result of this unfortunate misunderstanding. With your permission, sir, I will remove them. Poor devils, said Vimes, aware that it was not enough, but that nothing else would be either. The fortunes of war, sir. Private Hobley, ginger to his friends, was nineteen and lived in Ettercap Street, where, until recently, he made bootlaces. Willikins took the dead man's arms and pulled. He was courting a young lady called Grace, a picture of whom he was kind enough to show me last night. A maid at Lady Venturi's, I was given to understand. If you would be good enough to pass me his head, sir, I will get on with things. Smudger, who told you to sit down? Get on your feet right now. Get out your shovel. Take off your helmet. Show some respect. Get digging. Ha! A cloud of smoke rolled past Vimes's ear. I know what you are thinking, said Ahmed, but this is war, Sir Samuel. Wake up and smell the blood. But... One minute they're alive. Your friend here knows how it works. You don't. He's a butler. So? It's kill or be killed, even for butlers. You're not a natural warrior, Sir Samuel. Vimes thrust the baton in his face. I'm not a natural killer. See this? See what it says? I'm supposed to keep the peace, I am. If I kill people to do it, I'm reading the wrong manual. Willikins appeared silently, hefting the other corpse. I was not privileged to know much about this young man, he said, as he carried him behind a rock. We called him Spider, sir, he went on, straightening up. He played the harmonica rather badly and spoke longingly of home. Will you be taking tea, sir? Private Smith is having a brew-up. Er, uh, the butler coughed politely. Yes, Willikins? I hardly like to broach the subject, sir. Broach it, man. Do you have such a thing as a biscuit about you, sir? I hesitate to provide tea without biscuits, but we have not eaten for two days. But you were on patrol. Forage party, sir, Willikins looked embarrassed. Vimes was bewildered. You mean Rust didn't even wait to take on food? Oh, yes, sir. But as it transpired... We knew there was something wrong when the mutton barrel started to explode, muttered Private Bork. The biscuits was pretty lively, too. Turned out bloody Rust had bought a lot of stuff even a raghead wouldn't eat. And we eat anything, said 71-hour Ahmed solemnly. Private Bork, you horrible man, speaking of your commanding officer like that, you will be on a charge. I apologise, sir, but we are feeling a little faint. A long time between noses, eh? said 71-hour Ahmed. Ha ha ha, sir, said Willikins. Vime sighed. Willikins, when you've finished, I want you and your men to come with me. Very good, sir. Vimes nodded at Ahmed. And you too, he said. Push has come to shove. The hot wind flapped the banners. The sunlight sparkled off the spears. Lord Rust surveyed his army and found that it was good, but small. He leaned towards his adjutant. Let us not forget, though, 
that even General Tacticus was outnumbered ten to one when he took the pass of Al-Ibi, he said. Yes, sir, although I believe his men were all mounted on elephants, sir, said Lieutenant Hornet, and had all been well provisioned, he added meaningfully. Possibly, possibly, but then Lord Pinwell's cavalry once charged the full might of the Pseudopolitan army and are renowned in song and story. But they were all killed, sir. Yes, yes, but it was a famous charge, nevertheless, and every child knows, do they not, the story of the mere one hundred Ephebians who defeated the entire Tsortian army. A total victory, eh? 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 Yes, sir, said the adjutant glumly. Oh, you admit it? Yes, sir. Of course, some commentators believe the earthquake helped. At least you will admit that the seven heroes of Hergen beat the big-footed people, although outnumbered by a hundred to one. Yes, sir, that was a nursery story, sir. It never really happened. Are you calling my nurse a liar, boy? No, sir, said Lieutenant Hornet hurriedly. Then you'll concede that Baron Mimbledone single-handedly beat the armies of the Plum Pudding Country and ate their sultana? I envy him, sir. The lieutenant looked at the lines again. The men were very hungry, although Rust would probably have called them sleek. Things would have been even worse if it hadn't been for the fortuitous shower of boiled lobsters on the way over. Uh, you don't think, sir, since we have a little time in hand, we should look to the disposition of the men, sir? Well, they look well disposed to me. Plucky men, eager to be at the fray. Yes, sir, I meant more, well, positioned, sir. Nothing wrong with the man. Beautifully lined up, eh? A wall of steel poised to thrust at the black heart of the Clachian aggressor. Yes, sir, but, and I realise this is a remote chance, sir, it might be that while we're thrusting at the heart of the Clatchian aggressor, Black heart, Rust corrected him, uh, Black heart of the Clatchian aggressor, sir, the arms of the Clatchian aggressor, those companies there, and there, sir, will sweep around in the classic pincer movement. The thrusting wall of steel served us magnificently in the second war with Quirm. We lost that one, sir. But it was a damn close-run thing. We still lost, sir. What did you do as a civilian, Lieutenant? I was a surveyor, sir, and I can read Clatchian. That's why you made me an officer. So you don't know how to fight? Only how to count, sir. Ha! Show a little courage, man. Although I'll wager you won't need to. No stomach for a battle, Johnny Clatchian. Once he tastes our steel, he'll be off. I certainly hear what you say, sir, said the adjutant, who had been surveying the Clatchian lines and had formed his own opinions about the matter. His opinion was this. The main force of the Clatchian army had in recent years been fighting everyone. That suggested to his uncomplicated mind that by now the surviving soldiers were the ones who were in the habit of being alive at the end of battles, and were also very experienced at facing all kinds of enemies. The stupid ones were dead. The current Ankh Morpork army, on the other hand, had never faced an enemy at all, although day-to-day -day experience of living in the city might count for something there, at least in the rougher areas. He believed, along with General Tacticus, 
that courage, bravery, and the indomitable human spirit were fine things, which nevertheless tended to take second place to the combination of courage, bravery, the indomitable human spirit, and a six-to-one superiority of numbers. It had all sounded straightforward in Ankh-Morpork, he thought. We were going to sail into Clatch and be in Alcali by tea-time, drinking sherbet with pliant young women in the Roxy. The Clatchians would take one look at our weapons and run away. Well, the Clatchians had taken a good look this morning. So far, they hadn't run. They appeared to be sniggering a lot. Vimes rolled his eyes. It worked, but how did it work? He'd heard plenty of good speakers, and Captain Carrot was not among them. He hesitated, lost the thread, repeated himself, and in general made a mess of the whole thing. And yet, and yet, he watched the faces that were watching Carrot. There were the Dregs, and some of the Clatchians who had stayed behind, and Willikins and his reduced company. They were listening. It was a kind of magic. He told people they were good chaps, and they knew they weren't good chaps, but the way he told it made them believe it for a while. Here was someone who thought you were a noble and worthy person, and somehow it would be unthinkable to disappoint them. It was a mirror of a speech, reflecting back to you what you wanted to hear, and he meant it all. Even so, men occasionally glanced up at Vimes and Ahmed, and he could see them thinking in their separate ways, it must be all right if they're in on it. That, he was ashamed to realise, was one of the advantages of armies. People looked to other people for orders. This is a trick, said Ahmed. No, he doesn't know any tricks like that, said Angua. He really doesn't. Oh, oh. There was a scuffle in the ranks. Carrot strode forward and reached down, bringing up Private Bork and a dreg, each man held by the collar in one big fist. What's going on, you two? He called me the brother of a pig, sir. Liar! You called me a greasy dishcloth head. Carrot shook his head. And you were both doing so well, too, he said sadly. There really is no call for this. Now I want you, Hashel, and you, Vincent, to shake hands right and apologise, yes? We've all had a rather trying time, but I know you're both fine fellows underneath it all. Vimes heard Ahmet murmur, Oh, well, now it's all over. So, if you'll just shake hands, we'll say no more about it. Vimes glanced at 71-hour Ahmed. The man was wearing a sort of waxen grin. The two scufflers very gingerly touched hands as if they were expecting a spark to leap the gap. And now you, Vincent, apologise to Mr. Hashel. There was a reluctant... Sorry. And we're sorry for what? Carrot prompted. Sorry for calling him a gracie disclothed. Well said. And you, Hashel, apologise to Private Bork? The Dureg's eyes scurried around their sockets, looking to find a way out that would allow their body to come to. Then he gave up. Sorry. For? Sorry for calling our brother a pig. Carrot lowered both men. Good. I'm sure you'll get along splendidly once you get to know each other. I didn't just see that, did I? said Ahmed. I didn't just see him talk like a little school-teacher to Hashel, who I happen to know once hit a man so hard his nose ended up in one of his ears. Yes, you did, said Angua, and now watch them. When the rest of the men turned their attention back to Carrot, the scufflers looked at one another as unfortunates who had both been through the same baptism of fiery embarrassment. Private Bork gingerly offered Hashel a cigarette. It only works around him, said Angua, but it does work. 
Let it go on working, Vimes prayed. Carrot walked over to a kneeling camel and climbed into the saddle. That's evil brother-in-law of a jackal, said Ahmed. Jabbar's camel. It bites everyone who tries to ride it. Yes, but this is Carrot. It even bites Jabbar. And you notice how he knew how to get on a camel, said Vimes. How he wears the robes. He's fitting in. The boy was raised in a dwarf mine. It took him about a month to know my own damn city better than I do. The camel rose. Now the flag, Vimes thought, give him the flag. When you go to war, there's got to be a flag. On cue, Constable Shoe passed up the spear with the tightly rolled cloth around it. The constable looked proud. He'd stitched the thing in conditions of great secrecy half an hour before. One thing about a zombie, you always knew someone who had a needle and thread. But don't unfurl it, Vimes thought. Don't let them see it. It's enough for them to know they're marching under a flag. Carrot brandished the spear. And I promise you this, he shouted. If we succeed, no one will remember. And if we fail, no one will forget. Probably one of the worst rallying cries, Vimes thought, since General Pidley's famous, Let's all get our throats cut, boys. But it got a huge cheer and once again he speculated that there was magic going on at some bone-deep level. People followed Carrot out of curiosity. All right, you've got an army, I suppose, said Ahmed, and now? I'm a policeman, so are you. There's got to be a crime. Saddle up, Ahmed. Ahmed salaamed. I am happy to be led by a white officer, Offendi. I didn't mean, have you ever ridden a camel before, Sir Samuel? No. Ah, Ahmed smiled faintly. Then just give it a prod to get started, and when you want to stop, hit it very hard with the stick and shout, Hut, hut, hut! You hit it with a stick to make it stop. Is there any other way? said 71-hour Ahmed. His camel looked at Vimes and then spat in his eye. Prince Kadram and his generals surveyed the distant enemy from horseback. The various Clatchian armies were drawn up in front of Gebra. Compared to them, the Ankh-Morpork regiments looked like a group of tourists who had missed their coach. "'Is that all?' he said. "'Yes, sire,' said General Ashal. "'But you see, they believe that fortune favours the brave.' "'That is a reason to feel such a contemptible little army?' "'Ah, sire, but they believe that we will turn and run as soon as we taste some cold steel.' The prince looked back at the distant banners. Why? I couldn't say, sire. It appears to be an item of faith. Strange. The prince nodded to one of his bodyguards. Fetch me some cold steel. After some hurried discussion, a sword was handed up very gingerly, handle first. The prince peered at it, and then licked it with theatrical care. The watching soldiers laughed. No, he said at last, no, I have to say that I don't feel the least apprehensive. Is this as cold as steel gets? Lord Rust was probably being metaphorical, sire. But the man's a complete incompetent. Indeed, sire, 
and we're about to set thousands of our countrymen against one another, aren't we? Indeed, sire. So what does the maniac want to do? Tell me there's no hard feelings? Broadly speaking, sire, yes. I understand the motto of his old school was, it matters not that you won or lost, but that you took part. The prince's lips moved as he tried this out once or twice. Finally he said, And knowing this, people still take orders from him? It would seem so, sire. Prince Kadram shook his head. We can learn from Ankh Morpork, his father had said. Sometimes we can learn what not to do. And so he'd set out to learn. First he'd learned that Ankh Morpork had once ruled quite a slice of Clatch. He'd visited the ruins of one of its colonies and so he'd found out the name of the man who had been audacious enough to do this, and had got agents in Ankh-Morpork to find out as much about him as possible. General Tacticus, he'd been called, and Prince Kadram had read a lot and remembered everything, and tactics had been very, very useful in the widening of the empire. Of course, this had its own drawbacks. You had a border, and across the border came bandits, so you sent a force to quell the bandits, and in order to stamp them out, you had to take over their country and soon you had another restless little vassal state to rule. And now that had a border, over which came, sure as sunrise, a fresh lot of raiders. So your new tax-paying subjects were demanding protection from their brother raiders, neglecting to pay their taxes and doing a little light banditry on the side. And so once again you stretched your forces, whether you wanted to or not, he sighed. For the serious empire builder there was no such thing as a final frontier, there was only another problem, if only people would understand. Nor was there such a thing as a game of war. General Tacticus knew that. Learn about your opposite number, yes, and respect his abilities, if he had them, certainly. But never pretend that afterwards you were going to meet up for a drink and charge-by-charge charge replay. He could well be insane, sire, the general went on. Oh, good. However... I am told that he recently referred to Clatchians as the finest soldiers in the world, sire. Really? He added, when led by white officers, sire. Oh. And we are offering him breakfast, sire. It would be most impolite of him to refuse. What a good idea. Have we got an adequate supply of sheep's eyes? I took the liberty of telling the cooks to save some up. For this very eventuality, sire. Then we must see he gets them. After all, he will be our honoured guest. Well, let us do this thing properly. Please try to look as if you hate the taste of cold steel. The Glatchins had set up an open-sided tent on the sand between the two armies. In the welcome shade a low table had been laid. Lord Rust and his company were already waiting, and had been for more than half an hour. They stood up and bowed awkwardly as Prince Kadram entered. Around the tent the Clatchian and Ankh Morpork honour guards eyed one another suspiciously, every man trying to get the drop on the others. Uh, tell me, do any of you gentlemen speak a Clatchian? said Prince Kadram after the lengthy introductions. Lord Rust's grin stayed fixed. Hornet, he hissed. I'm not quite certain what he said, sir, said the lieutenant nervously. I thought you knew Clatchian. I can read it, sir. That's not the same. Oh, don't worry, said the prince. As we say in Clatch, this clown's in charge of an army. 
Around the tent, the Clatchian generals suddenly went poker-faced. Hornet? Um, something about to own, um, to control, uh... It is considered honourable, said Lord Rust. I believe that on the night before the famous Battle of Pseudopolis, officers from both sides attended a ball at Lady Silarchi's, for example. The prince glanced questioningly at General Achal, who nodded. Really? Obviously we have so much to learn. As the poet Mosheda says, I can't believe this man. Ah, yes, said Lord Rust. Clatchian is a very poetic language. Excuse me, sir, said Lieutenant Hornet. What is it, man? There's, um, something going on. There was a column of dust in the distance. Something was approaching fast. One moment, said General Achal. He came back from his saddle with an ornate metal tube, covered in curly Clatchian script. He squinted into one end and pointed the other at the cloud. Mounted men, he said, camels and horses. That's a make-things-bigger device, isn't it? said Lord Rust. My word, you are up to date. They were invented only last year. I didn't buy this, my lord. I inherited it from my grandfather. The general looked through the eyepiece again. About forty men, I'd say. Dear me, murmured Prince Cadram. Reinforcements, Lord Rust? They've... The rider in the lead is holding a banner, I think, still rolled up. Certainly not, sire, said Lord Rust. Behind him, Lord Salachi rolled his eyes. Ah, now he's unfurling it. It's a white flag, sire. Someone wishes to surrender? The general lowered his telescope. It doesn't, I don't, uh, they seem to be in a great hurry to do so, sire. Send a squad to apprehend them, said Prince Cadram. We will do so too, added Lord Rust hurriedly, nodding to the lieutenant. Ah, a joint effort, said the prince. A few seconds later, groups of men detached themselves from each army and rode out on an interception course. Everyone saw the sudden glints of sunlight from the approaching cloud. Weapons had been drawn. Fighting under a flag of surrender? That's immoral, said Lord Rust. Novel, certainly, said the prince. The three companies would have met had it not been that even experts find it hard to judge how much ground a running camel can cover. By the time both commanders realised they should start to turn, they should already have been turning. It seems your people misjudged things, sire, said Lord Rust. I knew I should have had them led by white officers, said the prince, but... Oh, dear, it seems your men have been equally unlucky. He stopped. Some confusion had resulted. The foray parties had their instructions, but no one had told them what to do if they ran into the other foray party, and it was composed, after all, of men they were about to fight, and everyone knew they were treacherous, greasy towel-heads, or perfidious, untrustworthy, sausage-eating madmen, and this was a battlefield, and everyone was frightened and therefore angry, and everyone was armed. Sam Vimes heard the shouting behind him, but had other things on his mind at this point. It is impossible to ride a running camel without concentrating on your liver and kidneys, in the hope that they won't be pounded out of your body. 
The thing's legs weren't moving right, he was sure. Nothing on normal legs could be jolting him around so much. The horizon jerked backwards and forwards, and up and down. What was it Ahmed had said? Vimes hit the camel hard and yelled, Hut, 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 hut. It accelerated. The jolts ran together so that his body was no longer being jolted, but was in effect in a permanent state of jolt. Vimes thrashed it again and tried to yell, Hut, 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 although the word came out more like, <coughs> In any case, the camel found some extra knees somewhere. There was more shouting behind him. Turning his head as much as he dared, he saw several of his accompanying dregs falling behind. He was certain he heard Carrot yell, but he couldn't be certain because of his own screaming. Stop, you bastard! he yelled. The tent was coming up fast. Vimes slapped the stick down again and hauled on the reins, and clearly now judging with special camel sensitivity that this was the most embarrassing moment to stop, the camel stopped. Vimes slid forward, flung his arms around a neck that was apparently thatched with old doormats, and half fell, half dropped onto the sand. Other camels were thudding to a halt around him. Carrot grabbed his arm. Are you all right, sir? That was amazing. You really impressed the Deregs, screaming defiance like that. And you were still shouting for the camel to go faster when it was already galloping. <laughs> the guards around the tent were hesitating, but that wouldn't last long. The wind caught the white flag on Carrot's lance, making it snap. Sir, this is all right, isn't it? I mean, usually a white flag... Might as well show what we're fighting for, eh? I suppose so, sir. Deregs had surrounded the tent. The air was full of dust and screams. What happened back there? A bit of a fracas, sir. Our... Carrot hesitated and then corrected himself. That is, Ark Moorpork soldiers and Clatchians have started... Fighting, sir, and the Deregs are fighting both of them. What, before the battle's officially declared? Can't you get disqualified for that? Vimes looked back at the guards and pointed to the flag. You know what this flag is, he said. Well, I want you to... Aren't you, Mr Vimes, said one of the more porkins, and that's Captain Carrot, isn't it? Oh, hello, Mr Smallplank, said Carrot. Feeding you well, are they? Yes, sir. Vimes rolled his eyes. That was Carrot again, knowing everyone and the man had called him Sir. We just need to go through, said Carrot. We won't be a minute. Well, sir, these towel... Small Plank hesitated. Certain words didn't come so easily when the subjects were standing very close to you, looking very big and tooled up. These Clatchians are on guard too, you see. A stream of blue smoke was blown past Vimes's ear. Good morning, gentlemen, said 71-hour Ahmed. He had a dreg crossbow in each hand. You will note that the soldiers behind me are also well armed. Good. My name is 71-hour Ahmed. I will shoot the last man to drop his weapons. You have my word on it. The Morporkians looked puzzled. The Clatchians began to whisper urgently. Put them down, boys, said Vimes. The Morporkians threw their swords down hurriedly. The Clatchians dropped theirs very shortly afterwards. A tie between the gentlemen on the left and the tall one with the squint, said 71-hour Ahmed, raising both crossbows. Hey, said Vimes, you can't... The bows twanged. The men dropped, yelling. However, said Ahmed, handing the bows to a dreg behind him, who handed him another loaded one, out of deference to the sensibilities of Commander Vimes here, I am settling for one in the thigh and one in the toes. We are, after all, on a mission of peace. He turned to Vimes. I'm sorry, Sir Samuel, but it's important that people know where they stand with me. 
These two don't, said Vimes. They'll live. Vimes moved closer to the wally. Hut, 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 he hissed. You told me that it meant... I thought it would prove a good example to all if you were in the lead, Ahmed whispered. The dregs will always follow a man who is in a hurry for the fray. Lord Rust stepped out into the sunlight and glared at Vimes. Vimes! What the hell are you doing? Not turning a blind eye, my lord. Vimes pushed past and into the shade. There was Prince Kadram, still seated, and there were a lot of armed men. These, he noted almost in passing, didn't have the look of ordinary soldiers. They had the much tougher look of loyal bodyguards. So, said the prince, you come in here armed under a flag of peace. Are you Prince Kadram? said Vimes. And you too, Ahmed, said the prince, ignoring Vimes. Ahmed nodded and said nothing. Oh, not now, thought Vimes, tough as leather and vicious as a wasp, but now he's in the presence of his king. You're under arrest, he said. The prince made a little sound between a cough and a laugh. I'm... I'm what? I am arresting you for conspiracy to murder your brother, and there may be other charges. The prince put his hands over his face for a moment and then pulled them towards his chin, in the action of a tired man endeavouring to come to grips with a trying situation. Mr... He began, Sir Samuel Vimes, Ankh-Morpork City Watch, said Vimes. Well, Mr. Samuel, when I raise my hand, the men behind me will cut you down. I will kill the first man that moves, said Ahmed. Then the second man that moves will kill you, traitor, shouted the prince. They'll have to move very fast, said Carrot, drawing his sword. Any volunteers to be the third man? said Vimes. Anyone? General Achal moved, but only very gently, holding up a hand. The bodyguards relaxed slightly. What was that lie you uttered about a murder? he said. Have you gone mad, Achal? said the prince. Oh, sire, before I can disbelieve these pernicious lies, I do need to know what they are. Vimes, you have gone insane, said Rust. You can't arrest the commander of an army. Actually, Mr. Vimes, I think we could, said Carrot, and the army too. I mean, I don't see why we can't. We could charge them with behaviour likely to cause a breach of the peace, sir. I mean, that's what warfare is. Vimes's face split in a manic grin. I like it. But in fairness, our, uh, that is, the Ankh-Morpork army are also... Then you'd better arrest them too, said Vimes. Arrest the lot of them. Conspiracy to cause an affray. He started to count on his fingers. Going equipped to commit a crime, obstruction, threatening behaviour, loitering with intent, loitering within tent, <laughs> travelling for the purposes of committing a crime, malicious lingering, and carrying concealed weapons. I don't think that one, Carrot began. I can't see him, said Vimes. Vimes, I order you to come to your senses this minute, roared Lord Rust. Have you been out in the sun? That's one count of offensive behaviour to his lordship as well, said Vimes. The prince was still staring at Vimes. You seriously think that you can arrest an army, he said. Perhaps you think you have a bigger army. Don't need one, said Vimes. 
power at a point, that's what Tacticus says. And here, it's the one right on the end of Ahmed's crossbow. That wouldn't frighten a dreg, but you, I reckon you don't think like them. Tell your men to stand down, I want the order to go out right now. Even Ahmed would not shoot his prince in cold blood, said Prince Kadram. Vimes snatched the crossbow. I wouldn't ask him to, he took aim. Give that order. The prince stared at him. Count of three, shouted Vimes. General Ashal leaned down and whispered something to the prince. The man's expression stiffened, and he glanced back at Vimes again. That's right, said Vimes. It runs in the family. It would be murder, would it, in wartime? I'm from Ankh-Morpork. Aren't I supposed to be at war with you? Can't be murder if there's a war on. That's written down somewhere. The general leaned down and whispered. One, said Vimes. Now there was a hurried argument. Two. My prince wishes me to say, the general began. All right, slow down, said Vimes. If it makes you any happier, I will send out the order, said the general. Let the messengers leave. Vimes nodded and lowered the bow. The prince shifted uneasily. And the Ankh-Morpork army will stand down as well, said Vimes. But Vimes, you're on our side, Rust began. Bloody hell, I'm going to shoot someone today and it could just be you, Rust, Vimes snarled. Sir, Lieutenant Hornet tugged at his commander's jacket, may I have a word? Vimes heard them whispering and then the young man left. All right. We are all disarmed, said Rust. We are all under arrest. And now, Commander? I ought to read them their rights, sir, said Carrot. What are you talking about, said Vimes. The men out there, sir. Oh, yeah, right. Do it then. Oh, gods, I arrested an entire battlefield, Vimes thought. And you can't do that, but I've done it. And we've only got six cells back at the yard, and we keep the coal in one of them. You can't do it. Was this the army that invaded your country, ma'am? No, officer, they were taller than that. How about this one? I'm not sure. Get them to march up and down a bit. Carrot's voice could be heard outside, slightly muffled. Now, can you all hear me? You gentlemen in the back there, anyone who can't hear me, please raise... All right, has anyone got a megaphone? Some cardboard I could roll up? In that case, I'll shout. What now? said the prince. I'm taking you back to Ankh-Morpork. I don't think so. That would be an act of war. You are making a mockery of the whole business, Vimes, said Lord Rust. So long as I'm doing something right, then, Vimes nodded at Ahmed. Then you can answer for your crime here, sire, he said. In what court, said the prince. Ahmed leaned closer to Vimes. What was your plan from here on? he whispered. I never thought we'd get this far. Ah, well, it has been interesting, Sir Samuel. Prince Kadram smiled at Vimes. Would you like some coffee while you are considering your next move? he said. He gestured to an ornate silver pot on the table. We've got proof, Vimes said, but he could feel the world dropping away. The point about burning your boats is that you shouldn't be standing on them when you drop the match. Really fascinating. And to whom will you show this proof, Sir Samuel? We'll have to find a court. Intriguing. A court in Ankh-Morpork, perhaps. Or a court 
here. Someone told me that the world watches, said Vimes. There was silence except for the muffled sounds of carrot outside and the occasional buzz of a fly. Bingley, 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 beep. The disorganizer's voice had lost its chirpy little edge and sounded sleepy and bewildered. Heads turned. Seven a.m. Organized defenders at Rivergate. Seven twenty-five. Hand-to-hand -hand fighting in Peach Pie Street. Seven forty-eight. Eight. Eight. Rally. Survivors in Sartor Square. Things to do today. Build. Mm, build. Mm, build barricades. He was aware of surreptitious movement behind him and then slight pressure. Ahmed was standing back to back with him. What is that thing talking about? Search me. Sounds like it's in a different world, doesn't it? He could feel events racing towards a distant wall. Sweat filled his eyes. He couldn't remember when he'd last had a proper sleep. His legs twinged. His arms ached, pulled down by the heavy bow. Bingley. 8.02 a.m. Death of Corporal Little Bottom Bottom Bottom. 8.03 a.m. Death of Sergeant Detritus. 8.03333 a.m. And seven seconds. Death of Constable Visit. 8.03 a.m. And nine, nine, nine seconds. Death of, death of, death of, death of. They say that in Ankh-Morpork one of your ancestors killed a king, said the prince, and he also came to no good end. Vimes wasn't listening. Death of death of Constable Dorful, 8.03 a.m. and 14 teen 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 seconds. The figure in the throne seemed to take up the whole world. Death of Captain Carrotiron found us and beep. And Vimes thought, I nearly didn't come. I nearly stayed in Ankh-Morpork. He had always wondered how old Stoneface had felt that frosty morning when he picked up the axe that had no legal blessing because the king wouldn't recognise a court even if a jury could be found, that frosty morning when he prepared to sever what people thought was a link between men and deity. Beep! Things to do today, 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 die! The sensation flowed into his veins like fresh warm blood. It was the feeling that you got when the law ran out, and you looked into a mocking face on the other side of it, and you decided that you couldn't go on living if you did not step over the line and do one clean thing. There was shouting outside. He blinked away the sweat. Ah, Commander Vimes, said a voice somewhere back over the border. He kept his aching gaze sighted along the bow. Yes? A hand darted down and grabbed the arrow out of its groove. Vimes blinked. His finger automatically squeezed the trigger. The string slammed back with a thunk. And the look on the prince's face he knew would keep him warm on cold nights, if there were ever cold nights again. He'd heard them all die, but they weren't dead, and yet the damn thing had sounded so accurate. Lord Vetinari dropped the arrow fastidiously like a society lady who has had to handle something sticky. Well done, Vimes. I see you've got the donkey up the minaret. Good morning, gentlemen. He gave the company a happy smile. I see I am not too late. Vetinari, said Rust, seeming to wake up. What are you doing here? This is a battlefield. I wonder. 
The patrician gave him a very brief smile of his very own. Outside there seem to be a lot of men sitting around. Many of them seem to be having what I believe is known in military parlance as a brew-up. And Captain Carrot is organising a football match. He's what? said Vimes, lowering the bow. Suddenly the world had to be real again. If Carrot was doing something as dumb as that, things were normal. Quite a large number of fouls so far, I'm afraid, but I wouldn't call it a battlefield. Who's winning? Ark Morpork, I believe, by two hacked shins and a broken nose. For the first time in ages, Vimes felt a little pang of patriotism. Everything else in life was in the privy, but when it came to gouging and kicking, he knew which side he was on. Besides, Vetinari went on, I believe quite a large number of people are technically under arrest, and clearly a state of war is not in practical fact in being. It is merely a state of football. Therefore, I believe I am, shall we say, back. Excuse me, sire, but this won't take a moment. He held up a metal cylinder and began to unscrew the end. For some reason, Vimes felt inclined to take a few steps away from it. What's that? I thought this might become necessary, said Vetinari. It took some preparation, but I am certain it will work. I hope they are readable. We did our best to keep the damp off them. A thick roll of paper dropped out onto the floor. Commander, have you nothing you should be doing? he added. Refereeing, perhaps. Vimes picked up the roll and read the first few lines. Whereas, heretofore, etc., etc., city of Ark-Morpork, surrender. What? said Rust and the prince together. Yes, surrender, said Vetinari cheerfully. A little piece of paper and it's all over. I think you'll find it all in order. You can't, Rust began. You can't, said the prince. Unconditionally, said General Ashall sharply. Yes, I think so, said Vetinari. We give up all claim to Leshp in favour of Clutch. We withdraw all troops from Clutch and our citizens from the island. And as for reparations, shall we say a quarter of a million dollars, plus various favourable trade arrangements, most favoured nation status and so on and so on, it's all here. Feel free to read it at your leisure. He passed the document over the head of the prince and into the hands of the general, who flicked through the pages. But we haven't got, Vimes began. Perhaps I did get killed, he thought. I'm on the other side. Or someone hit me very hard on the head and this is all some kind of mirage. It's a forgery, snapped the prince. It's a trick. Well, sire, this man certainly does appear to be Lord Vetinari, and these do seem to be the official seals of Ankmore Pork, said the general. Whereas, whereby without prejudice, ratification within four days, way of trade. Yes, this does, I have to say, look genuine. I won't accept it. I see, sire. It does, though, appear to cover all the points which in your speech last week you... I certainly wouldn't accept it, Rust shouted. He waved a finger under Vetinari's nose. You'll be banished for this. But we haven't got that money. Vimes repeated, but this time to himself. We're a very rich city, but we haven't got any actual money. The wealth of Ankh-Morpork is in its people, we're told, and you couldn't remove it with big pliers. He felt the wind change, and Vetinari watching him. 
and there was something about General Achal, a certain hunger. I agree with Rust, he said. This is dragging the good name of Ankh-Morpork into the mud. To his mild surprise, he managed to say that without smiling. We lose nothing, sire, General Achal insisted. They withdraw from Clatch and Leshp. Damned if we will, screamed Lord Rust. Right, and have everyone know we've been beaten, said Vimes. Out, wicked! He looked at the prince, whose gaze was hunting from man to man, but occasionally staring at nothing, as if he was watching some inner vision. A quarter of a million is not enough, the prince said. Lord Vetinari shrugged. Mm, we can discuss it. There is much that I need to buy. Things of a sharp metallic nature, no doubt, said Vetinari. Of course, if we are talking about goods rather than money, there is room for flexibility. And now we're going to arm him too, Vimes thought. You'll be out of the city in a week, Rust screamed. Vimes thought the general smiled briefly. Ark Morpork without Vetinari, ruled by people like Rust. His future was looking bright indeed. The surrender will need to be ratified and formally witnessed, however, said Ashal. May I suggest Ankh-Morpork, said Lord Vetinari. No, on neutral territory, of course, said the general. But where, between Ankh-Morpork and Clatch, is there such a thing, said Vetinari. I suppose there is Leshp, said the general thoughtfully. What a good idea, said the patrician. That would not have occurred to me. The place is ours anyway, snapped the prince. Will be, sire, will be, said the general soothingly. We will take possession quite legally while the world watches. And that's it. What about my arrest, said Vimes? I'm not going to... These are matters of state, said Vetinari, and there are diplomatic considerations... I am afraid the good ordering of international affairs cannot hinge upon your concerns over the doings of one man. Once again, Vimes felt that the words he was hearing were not the words that were being said. I won't, he began. There are larger issues here, but sterling work, nevertheless. There are big crimes and little crimes, is that it? said Vimes. Why don't you take some well-earned rest, Sir Samuel? You are... Vetinari flashed one of his lightning-fast smiles. A man of action. You deal in swords and chases and facts. Now, alas, it is the time for the men of words who deal in promises and mistrust and opinions. For you, the war is over. Enjoy the sunshine. I trust we shall all be returning home shortly. I would like you to stay, Lord Rust. Vimes realised that he'd been switched off. He spun around and marched out of the tent. Ahmed followed him. That's your master, is it? No, he's just the man who pays my wages. Often hard to know the difference, said Ahmed sympathetically. Vimes sat down on the sand. He wasn't certain how he'd been managing to stand up. There was some kind of a future now. He hadn't the faintest idea what was in it, but there was one. There hadn't been one five minutes ago. He wanted to talk now, that way he didn't have to think about the disorganizer's death roll. It had sounded so accurate. What's going to happen to you, he said, to drive the thought out of his mind. When this is over, I mean, your boss isn't going to be pleased with you. Oh, the desert can swallow me.
He'll send people after you. He looks the type. The desert will swallow them. Without chewing, believe it. It shouldn't have to be like this, Vimes shouted at the sky in general. You know, sometimes I dream that we could deal with the big crimes, that we could make a law for countries and not just for people, and people like him would have... Ahmed pulled him upright and patted him on the shoulder. I know how it is, he said. I dream too. You do? Yes. Generally of fish. There was a roar from the crowd. Someone scored a convincing foul by the sound of it, said Vimes. They slid and staggered up the side of a dune and watched. Someone broke from the scrum and, punching and kicking, staggered towards the Clatchian goal. Isn't that man your butler? said Ahmed. Yes. One of your soldiers said he bit a man's nose off. Vimes shrugged. He's got a very pointed look if I don't use the sugar tongs. I know that. A white figure marched authoritatively through the mill of players, blowing a whistle. And that man, I believe, is your king. Now. Really? Then I am Queen Pongitrum of Sumtri. Carrots are copper, same as me. A man like that could inspire a handful of broken men to conquer a country. Fine. Just so long as he does it on his day off. And he too takes orders from you. You are a remarkable man, Sir Samuel, but you would not, I think, have killed the prince. No, but you'd have killed me if I had. Oh, yes. Flagrant murder in front of witnesses. I am, after all, a copper. They'd reached the camels. One looked round as Ahmed prepared to mount, thought better of spitting at him, and hit Vimes instead, with great precision. Ahmed looked back at the footballers. Up in Klachistan, the nomads play a game very similar to that, he said, but on horseback. The aim is to get the object round the goal. Object? Probably best just to think of it as an object, Sir Samuel. And now I think I shall head that way. There are thieves in the mountains. The air is clear up there. As you know, there is always work for policemen. You thinking of returning to Ankh-Morpork at any time? You'd like to see me there, Sir Samuel? It's an open city. But be sure to call in at Pseudopolis Yard when you arrive. Ah, and we can reminisce about old times. No, so you can hand over that sword. We'd give you a receipt and you can pick it up when you leave. I'd take some persuading, Sir Samuel. Oh, I think I'd only ask once. Ahmed laughed, nodded at Vimes, and rode away. For a few minutes he was a shape at the base of a column of dust, and then a shifting dot in the heat haze, and then the desert swallowed him.